0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com.
1: They're heading to the exits here in Ohio, and a puck that comes in along the near side, and- check away and now the counter. Here come the caps. Kuznetsov gets loose. getting coming down the middle. A shot and it comes in over. He scores! He scores! thats Kuznetsov wins it for Washington! It's off to the third round! The Demons have been exercised! Eagle winning the draw, back out to center, and that is going to do it! Good morning, good afternoon, and good night Tampa Bay!
0: Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio, I am your host Adam Stringham, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Alan May, an analyst with NBC Sports Washington. How are you doing, Alan? I'm doing
1: great. I'm in Las Vegas now, just getting ready for the big game on Thursday, and it already feels like it's... Days and days and days away.
0: So, uh, can't wait for it to get here. Yeah, me neither. Um, how's the environment there? Does does it feel any different than it did? You know, during uh, games one and two. You know what?
1: The, the the buzz isn't quite the same, but I'm sure. You know, with
0: today being,
1: you know, Tuesday and them losing, I, I think the, the city will get back behind them, and uh, you'll feel the energy and the excitement. Uh, certainly Wednesday night, but all day Thursday. I, I don't think these people are ready for it to end in Las Vegas. It's been just kind of a hockey dream. You know, these, these people, there's a lot of them that have talked about never watching a hockey game before than, you know, going to just even one game and how this has, uh brought the city together, how awesome the hockey culture has been. So I, I'm sure that they're just, just taking a little bit of a break. It is June. Uh, most people aren't used to hockey in June. And I know in DC we haven't been. So, I'm, I'm sure it's going to ramp up big time on Thursday.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it really, it, it, Vegas is a great story. And, you know, we, I don't want to take anything away from that. But I like to think kind of the, on the other side, you have a great story of kind of Ovechkin and the Capitals, the team that just could not get over the hump for just year after year after year. But this time, things are a little bit different. Uh, Alan, you know, you're you're a guy that's around the team all the time. Uh, what can you tell me and our listeners about what the Capitals have done to kind of, like, why is this year's team different?
1: You know, I, the, the first thing I want to say is that the Vegas story is that they were able to win the Stanley Cup, and there's still a chance they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be the most amazing story in team sports ever. But I think that one of the most sentimental stories in the National Hockey League will be if Alexander Ovechkin can lift the Cup for the first time. You know, 13 years into it, leads the league in, in goals when everyone had them written off. They've had him written off for years, and a lot of people covering these games on the national level have beaten him down in Canada and the U.S. and said all these unsavory things about him, which I know are untrue. Mm-hmm. And I just would love to see this story of redemption that he could give a, He, he could lift that cup as a, you know, almost as a, as a big you-know-what to everyone that ever doubted him <laughs> and, and said bad things about his team. But you know what? The thing that happened with this team, and I think it started the day that Alex showed up at training camp. You know what? Barry Truss flies over to Russia, and he asked Obi to do a few different things. He goes, the game is changing. It's turning into a skater's game, and we're going to have to change the way we play as a team, and we need you to do this. And he changed his training. You know, because last year when he scored the 33 goals, uh, everyone was fine with that because the supposed four-line team where every line could score uh, didn't need just to worry about him. They cut his ice down. They realized how wrong that was when the playoffs no one was scoring other than Alex and you know his line and you know the, sec- the top two lines were the only ones scoring. uh so he took it to heart he, he, he dropped the big weight and he started running and doing all this agility training he showed up at training camp a few days earlier than normal in excellent physical condition which he always does but it was a different kind of condition he looked 10 years younger uh his body composition changed although he was pretty much practically the, the same weight as he was uh, the year before when he showed up to training camp. And then when the season started, he scored seven goals in the first two games, and he never looked back. He continued to do his job. When people said that they didn't need him scoring, they leaned on him. They started giving him that extra ice that he thrived on. And he changed some of his game. He wasn't as physical. I thought, in my opinion, he was the best back checker this year. There was more of a commitment to, to, to being back in maybe not chasing after hits and doing things that he, you know, he's really good at, but for the sake of team defense and, and showing the other guys what needed to be done, you know, he, he just led by example. And as the year went on, I think he became frustrated with some of the antics, some of the things that were going on. And, you know, he, he took things under his own hand and brought this team together and everyone got in line with him. They started to follow sort of the their own job, be more of who they were as, as people and I think the leadership that he displayed was the turning point. And then you see what he's done in the playoffs. It has been incredibly massive, uh, how he's gotten better and better by every round, but so has the team. But you see him shot, blocking shot, uh, being, you know, shutting down off in the Tampa just all the little things that he added to his game. And everyone else started to imitate and emulate everything that he was doing. It's been fantastic to watch as an old hockey player.
0: You know, there's another guy when we kind of talk about old hockey players, you know, uh, Brooks Orpik has obviously been a big part of both the leadership that you talk about and the team defense. Um, you know, his plus minus, which isn't a stat that I necessarily love to really harp on too much is fantastic in the playoffs. And and really not just that, but he's also had a big role in developing players like, uh, his, his defense partner, Christian juice, who, who I think has been pretty solid as well. Um, you know, Orpik's a guy that gets a lot of flack, Alan, but you're a guy who's played the game. You know the type of things that, that his his teammates want to see. What makes Brooks orpic a valuable part of this team, and where do you think the team would really be without him? Well, you
1: know, I'll look at one of the things that people rip on him about it, being
0: intangible, because coaches always
1: talk about that, but as a guy that was a player, it was always great to have an older player in there that was a true professional, and you know, a, a guy that, you know, some of your better players can lean on and ask advice, that a level headed guy. Uh, he's a really good man, a really good human being. And the way he's treated every one of these players, from o- Obi to Christian Deuce, uh, it, it, it's been with so much class and almost as a parent's hand, a big brother's hand. And he's he instilled confidence. He's taught lessons. And just to know that he's there. And then you take what he does on the ice. There's a guy that plays hurt. Uh, with injuries that most people would, would not even get out of bed with, that they would go straight to the EDR or things like that. And uh, it doesn't try to do anything different. You know, when he got that big contract years ago, what you worry about was all of a sudden Brooks Lowe going to tr- start trying to play like Mike Green or someone like that. And he always remained true to who he is. And uh, I've seen it in the past where guys try to change their game because of the big dollars that go their way. But, go their way. but this guy just continued to stay who he was. You know, on the other side of it, you know, his play as as the season went on, you know, everyone was like, you know, the third line pairing and him mentoring Christian Deuce or Madison Bowie, whoever the young guys he was playing with, you know, he's one of those veterans that doesn't pick on the young guys. He nurtures them. He builds them up. He shows them how to do things properly. So many players on this team, when I talk to them, they, he's been the biggest influence on their careers. Uh, from, you know, sleep, you know, to sleeping, to how they eat, to, you know, just to everything they do, the, the way they, you know, prepare themselves before every game, their demeanor, getting prepared for the games, and all those things really, really matter. And, and people that, you know, rip on them, they've never been there. They don't understand. It, it really is important. And I've had a lot of important people in my life that played the Brooks Orpic role. And, you know, it, it's important to your success to have success to have those mentors. But on the other side of it, you know, his play has really picked up, up in these playoffs. And he's played the exact same way. But what's happened, But they finally put a really, really good defensive system in place that everyone understood. So it wasn't just Brooks Orford and your other defensive defensemen playing that way and having a gap between the forwards and what they thought defense was. You know, the the coaches had to change the game plan, and some of the players in the leadership group went to them. And Brooks has excelled in that, but he's still been the same player. But while we've seen him excel and have these gaudy plus-minus numbers, you've also seen all these young left-wingers uh, Jake Cabrana, Chandler Stevenson, Andre Burakovsky figured it out in the Tampa series exactly about puck management and all those little things. And a guy like Brooks Orpik, the reason he's excelling right now is because everyone's playing the proper brand of hockey without the puck. And, you know, until players, that light switch goes off, they don't really get it. I think now every single player that's putting on the Capitals jersey in these playoffs understands what defense is.
0: Alan, are you able to, I know it's hard without like visual aids and stuff, but are you able to kind of just, just kind of tell our listeners what's different about the Capitals system this year and why it might be a bit easier for players to grasp onto it than it would have been in the past?
1: Well, the start of the year they were doing, and I shouldn't say the start, I'd say 80% of the season they were using the same system, and it was a man-on-man defense, and Defensemen would be up at the blue line, sometimes two defensemen would be at the blue line, sometimes two defensemen would be in the top of the circles on one side and they'd be criticized. You know, the Twitterverse would just annihilate players. But they were actually where they were supposed to be under this system, which you know I, I never liked. And I don't think the players, especially the defensemen, I don't think they appreciate it because it left the front of the net open. Mm-hmm. And I blamed a lot of that on the downfall of Braden Holtby in, in, in February. And what happened there is he was winning and stealing games for this team even though the numbers don't really bear it because the save percentage was down a little the goals against was up a touch but he was getting annihilated with high danger chances you know he was coming up big for you know those first few months of the season first four months of the season but after a while when you give up high danger all the time eventually your goalie's going to crack and he's going to start doubting himself he's going to be bitter he's going to have animosity towards his teammates uh, it won't get out there. It won't be vocal. It could be in the back of his mind. Uh, he'll start changing his game from what made, made him successful. And I look at what this team was able to do. They were able to change the system where the defensemen were no longer going above the top of the circle, but they're always repelling back to the front of the net. And when they started to do that, the high danger opportunities were were lowered. And when looking at five-on-five hockey, you need the forwards to make sure they have their check. They've got a block shot to find. What we see in the playoffs as an indicator is the forwards in some of these games, we'll look at the Vegas series where the forwards have more shot blocks than the defensemen. That means everyone is where they're supposed to be. If the puck's going through and the defensemen have to block it all the time, that means you're giving up high danger chances. And so the system there changed inside the defensive zone. But also a big part of defense is, is the 200-foot defense. When you when you can't make a block. Pl- by how you lose a puck in a one-on-one battle, Uh, when you have to get rid of a puck when you're skating with it, where you throw it, how you use your body position to get it below the goal line, going to back off on a hit or a race for a puck and and take a defensive posture in the neutral zone. That all came together right near the end of the season, right near late March. And then in April, they started perfecting it, and they got better every playoff. And you can look at game six against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh I believe it was the best game Jacob Rana ever play has ever played he didn't get any points, but he stole I don't know how many pucks uh with poke checks on the back check getting in lane protecting the puck on the wall just being in the way and it clicked that that night it clicked for him now he's not a liability there's no way that anyone could honestly say that they're scared when he's on the ice I look what he's done in the Vegas series he's been lights out Andre Burakoski figured out after sitting in the Vegas series and these players are so much better for it now and it'll help their offensive game. It's helping this team win, but there's been a buy-in by every single guy wearing that jersey right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you talk about uh, Jacob Vrana in Game 6 against Pittsburgh, if I'm remembering correctly, he came about uh, three or four inches from ending that game before it even went to overtime. Uh, he, He... He had a fantastic game and really has been great all playoffs. Um, he doesn't have any goals yet in this series against Vegas, but he's a guy I'd be looking to potentially see break out in the upcoming game five because uh, he certainly had his chances. Uh, the same thing can be said about Andre Burakovsky and, again, Chandler Stevenson. Uh, as you said, these Capitals' young forwards, I guess they all are, all are kind of playing on that left side, ha- have really had chances and, and really been buying in and playing well. Um Kind of looking to Game 5 here, Alan, who do you see as kind of being the game-breaker, and what do you think the Capitals need to do uh, better than maybe they did in Game 4? Because I think they definitely gave Vegas more chances than they wanted to, especially in that first period.
1: Well, you know, Vegas did change the game, the way they were playing. There was going to be more of a press to get it to to the golden area, that area below the hash marks to get their opportunities there, you know, not, not make an extra pass, because they've been changing lanes too many times, and you know, all of a sudden they started attacking the net. But, you know, a lot of those chances were coming through a layer of players. So the Caps just have to remain, you know, the hold, of course, at the 5 man defensive pack down low near the net. But at the same time, when you're looking for who, who will be a breakout player, I think they're just all playing with so much confidence right now as to the, the, the team game plan, uh, all the little things that's doing, the, the positive, reaff- you know, affirmations, reaffirmation of players that are, you know, just a poke check here, uh, a, a puck thrown out of the, the D zone, a puck locked it in from the neutral zone in behind the goal line, they're all doing it, and, and they're all patting each other on the back and, and acknowledging that was a great play. Those little plays are now so big, that look so minimal when you're watching the game to the viewer, they don't understand how important that is. So, I think the bottom line with this team right now is it has to be, everyone has to do their part. You can't have a weak link, and they're just fucking, you know a team is real and it's legit when they're not worried about who gets it when a a young player is not slamming his stick on the ice because he doesn't score a goal. When a player doesn't celebrate with enthusiasm, when someone else scores a goal, uh, they just want to get the game winner. They don't care which player gets it. Everyone would love to get it themselves, but they're looking for the fourth game winner of these playoffs, uh, of this finals, and they don't care who gets it. So it could be a one-goal game. It could be a 10-goal game. Bottom line is everyone just wants someone on the Capitals to get the game-winning goal. If not this game coming up on Thursday, the next game after it on Sunday, and uh, that's they want it to end by then. Mm-hmm. But they'll do everything in their power to to make sure that they're playing as a team.
0: Yeah, Alan, you, you talked about Hopi and his struggles kind of during the year, and how uh, t- poor team play in front of him might have played that part. Like if, if I'm. Thinking back, I thought Holpe was without a doubt the MVP of the team in the first few months of the year, and then his play kind of fell off, but that could have been, as you said, just because of the quality of chances he was consistently facing. Uh, As the playoffs have gone on, as the team defense has improved, and Holpe has stayed strong, um, what are kind of your overall thoughts on Holpe in this postseason, and, and what a big difference maker has he been?
1: Well, I'll tell you what. When he came back, you know, after that little break that he took, well, it seemed like a long break the, the mental health break. Uh, yeah. He had to go back, get get back to, you know, the basics of his game, get back to his technique and structure. And I think, you know, he he was, you know, trying to alter things on the fly because things were getting so bad, and the high danger ops that were on him every game. Uh, he needed a break. He needed a, he needed to sit down and, and, and take a deep breath. And there was there had to be some animosity inside that man. Or, you know, what was going on because his game really deteriorated. He, now he was no longer playing with confidence. He looked frustrated. Uh, but when he went out and, and you know, the goalie guru, Mitch Corn, came into town for some off ice stuff. Scott Murray started getting him back on the ice doing the, the on ice thing. And we, we looked at all that and hopefully, I think when I saw him, I was between the benches in the Columbus series for, for the first couple, well, for the entire Columbus series. And I looked as, when we got back in that third period, Columbus was going down and they have been going top shelf every shot in Grubauer. and it felt like they weren't scoring on every shot, which is not true. It just it, it just felt like it, you know, you overblow everything in the playoffs. But I, I felt from my vantage point, the first shot they went down the ice, they had a wide open opportunity, a golden chance. And Holpie looked like he was ten feet tall and bulletproof and there was nothing to shoot at. That entire game they ended up losing it. But Holby was amazing. He was so strong and plays with so much confidence. And I think from that day forward, he actually, I noticed him using some different techniques in his game and adapting to some of the things that were going on. In mid-season, if he had kept playing, the Cavs wouldn't be here. If he wouldn't have went back and saw some video and said, ah, I should start playing like this. I saw Vasilevsky start to, you know, try to steal some of his techniques that he started to develop as he went out and came through the playoffs. And he's been on, and I don't think if that, if that downturn in his game happens, the Caps aren't in the finals right now because was it, kind of the perfect storm for everything to happen. And now I see him being better than he's ever been, uh, I think more focused than he's ever been, playing with more confidence than he's ever had, and uh, he's had a pretty good run being the starting goaltender of the Washington Capitals. He had about six bad weeks, but overall he's had six pretty good years.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's a good way to kind of frame Brayden uh Capitals career, right? It, it, it's the the small moments sometimes color our judgment of his overall body of work, which has been nothing short of sensational. Um, Alan, I've got a few more questions for you, if you got the time. Um, you know, you you talked about Ovi um, and kind of the, the superstars and, and what they've done. Um, But in the past, guys like Backstrom have gotten flack for disappearing in the playoffs, and he's a guy right now that everyone's seen the picture of that finger and and, and how it kind of looks like a sausage. Um, What do you think about his game, and kind of uh, what what has Backstrom and and the rest of that kind of leadership group, or or really the superstar group, uh, done to be so successful in the playoffs this year?
1: Well, I look at Backy, and, you know, the things that he does, a lot of people, you know, everyone always wants to talk about the points, the assists, everything that's happening. And I look at this guy, he's eliminated the top center on every team, the top offensive line with his play of getting between the puck and his net, the poke checks, the the taking away of ice, uh, the finishing of checks, taking hits to make plays. And, you know, the leadership that he's shown by accepting, you know, the top defensive role on the team has been so outstanding. And, And once again, you have a, have, you know, the power play quarterbacking and, you know, and really he's the guy, even when Kudnetsov dominated on the power play, a lot of that is from Nick Backstrom, which, you know, he says we've got to do this, you know, he's no longer a patient man. He's he, he's a little more vocal or I'd say a lot more vocal when it comes to him because he's a pretty quiet reserve guy, but his leadership in the dressing room, uh, you know, all the areas off the ice and then what he's been doing on the ice, it, 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 his commitment to defense, while not, you know, backing off on his, his offensive, you know, excellent. So you just look at him. When, when players do that, I think everyone else falls in line and respects it. And this, this team is where they are because they have a first line center, a second line. Well, they really have two first line centers, but they got a first, a second, a third, a fourth that all understand the role. And Nicky, if he's not fully engaged and believing in, you know, what's important, I shut down these other players. I, I got to go ahead to heavy stand post, and I, I've got to take him out five on five. If I go against Braden Point, I've got to make sure Sidney Crosby, Malkin, I've got to win those battles. And thankfully, the Caps have a guy who is so selfless that he's gotten his team here with that stellar defensive play. Because you know what we always want to do—I get in the, you know after a game, and they want to talk goal, goal, goal—and I'm a I'm a guy that loves the details of the game. And Nick Baxter means the details of the game and the way he plays.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, there's one other guy that, while he did show, or really two guys, but uh, I'm really the only thinking of one that showed up on the score sheet in game four that doesn't always, and he does a lot of the little things right. He's a big penalty killer for the Caps, uh, and he's not afraid to to sometimes maybe toe the line a little bit. But Tom Wilson has had exponential growth this year. Uh, I think I had you on this podcast about a year and a half ago, and we were talking about Tom Wilson and, and how his game could grow. And you said a lot of stuff kind of about getting back that scoring touch that he had when he was in juniors. Um, what do you think that Tom Wilson has done to grow his game? And what has made him such a valuable piece of this Stanley Cup final run for the Capitals? Well, one of the things that coaches did last year,
1: last season,
0: was start to utilize him as
1: a penalty killer rather than a penalty getter. Because the game is changing. Uh, he's, a, he's an excellent straight-line skater. He's got really, really good speed. He's a, he's a mountain of a man, six foot for 225 pounds of rock-solid muscle, uh, plays every game as though it's his last with the effort and commitment that he's got to being a physical, hardworking, enter- energized type of player. Uh, what I what I see in here is thinking about the game, you know, the video sessions, watching other teams play, and where to hang on to the puck, and not just throwing pucks in corners, hanging on to a puck to make a pass, uh, protecting the puck better on the half wall. And all those little details that he's added to his game when he's got the puck or offensively, uh, shooting when there's an opportunity there, that stuff's all been really big for him. And certainly his line makes, you know, he's basically fit in with every single line that he's played on this year. Uh, he's helped those lines. I don't know if he's necessarily the fixture, like they said. Uh, he's just a really good proponent to have in every line because I think that he forces other players to, to, to play with a high level of intensity like he does and also to be braver than they normally are because, you know, he, he's not scared of anything when he's on the ice. And I think players hear footsteps when he's out there. And, and he's learned, you know, there's certain times because he, he doesn't have to worry about fighting because there, you know, there's not many guys in the league to do it anymore. And I never liked him being thrust into that role. But now that he doesn't have that weight, that anchor on him, he's able to think about the game, the details offensively, uh, that, you know, put pressure on himself that I have to contribute in the goal-scoring department. I've got to help, you know, Alex and Kuznetsov or, or Alex and Backey uh, put points up so you know there's been so much growth and I think the mental part more than anything of this game is really what this is attributed to uh, because this, the physical skill has always been there but I, I also think uh, because he's not restricted and having the thought of I've got to fight Milan Lucic or some other guy like that in the back of his mind and the coach wants him to stay on the ice and not be involved with that uh, then he's able to go out there and just think more about you know the fun part of hockey
0: yeah, and the fun part of hockey, uh, at least I imagine, having never played in the league, uh, often leads to winning, right? So, um, uh- Alan, I'd be remiss if if, if I don't have one last question for you about Barry Trotz and kind of how he has kind of grown as a coach this year and and what he's done to help the Capitals get to this point. Um, You know, he's a guy who got a lot of flack kind of kind of from all sides during the regular season and and look where the Capitals are. So what has Barry done differently this time to beat coaches that uh, some would argue outcoached him in the past just one playoffs ago, specifically Mike Sullivan?
1: Well, you know what? One of the things I I look at is he's made bold changes, bold decisions. The goaltender changed. Goes Grubauer. I was the last guy to get on that bus probably as far as Bauer. But April 1st uh, in Pittsburgh said, you know what? they got to give Gruby a chance. Mm -hmm. He's playing great every single game that he's going in right now. That was a bold decision. Even Boulder was spiked six periods into the playoffs, third period of game two against Columbus. He throws Holpe back in there. Uh, changing the power play after the first game against Columbus when they were cheating to Ovechkin. So for the really the first time in 10 years, they started to add wrinkle after wrinkle after wrinkle into the power play, uh, moving line in and out. Uh, the decision to put Travis Boyd at third-line center, the first game that Backstrom was missing, rather than Jay Beagle, that showed mm-hmm. you know a, a guy that was willing to take a chance and believed in you know, we've got to do these things. And he, and he looked back on the history of the game probably and said, and looked at himself. And I think that, you know, evaluating himself uh, to say, I've got to be better, I've got to do things different. And his team, you know, I think they really fed off of that. Uh, of the things he's done to see the coaching staff come together. And, you know, they were, they were getting pounded down by the Tampa power play. And they, they found a way those past few games just to be so aggressive and to find a way to kill the penalties. And rather than just say, you know, sit there and hope they weren't going to get scored on, they made changes. And he's done all of those things. That the ability to, to put his hat in his hands and change that defensive scheme that they've been using all these years late in the season. That's why they're here. Barry very, very deserves so much credit. Just as much as anyone that scored a, scored a goal in these playoffs or made a big hit or a shot block, Barry deserves credit. And uh, I, I think this is just amazing for him to be where they're at right now and I think he's handled it with uh, so much class, uh, dignity. He's a great human. The Capitals needed to have this guy. Uh, years ago, And Brian McClellan, when he was still the assistant general manager, said, We got to get this guy. We need an experienced coach. We need a guy that brings structure, accountability. Uh, they did that, but it wasn't good enough. And he, he pushed himself to be a better coach. And here they are in the Stanley Cup finals, up three games to one. Uh, they got to win one more game out of three. And then he's the Stanley Cup champion with his players.
0: Alan, when will you be on air? Uh, are you going to be on during the off days for our listeners to see you on NBC Sports Washington?
1: Yeah, we're going to use our Facebook Live at the next few practices. Tomorrow's practice in Las Vegas. Uh, we haven't got official confirmation on that. Uh, and then on game day, we're going to be at the game day morning skate on Facebook Live. And then that night, an hour before the puck drops, so 7 o'clock in D.C., in that area, and then post game for an hour, uh, maybe longer. After, uh, all depends on how that game rolls about. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but uh, it can't come soon enough.
0: And I hope all of our listeners follow you on Twitter at May Hockey NBCs. Thanks a lot, Alan. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks,
1: Adam. Take care. Let's go, Caps.
0: Let's go, Caps. On behalf of myself and Alan May, thank you for listening to this episode of Japers Rink Radio.